Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, many people live with constant voices in their head, voices of regret, guilt, condemnation. Sometimes those voices are about replaying. I've shared myself that sometimes, some days it feels like I get on this repeat loop of like every dumb thing that I've ever done. And that loop takes a long time to to get through. And so sometimes it's those voices replaying. Other times it's like the memories of voices from other people. A, A friend of mine shared this with me told me that it was okay for me to share this. He said, my dad marked me with his drunken rants, telling me I was no good and needed to amount to something. And in the years since, those long summer night rants have translated for me that you are a failure. So I don't need to tell you that those kinds of voices in our head impact our outlook on life. They, they impact our carrying out of the calling that God has on our lives. They impact the way we approach other people. And a lot of people imagine that God's voice sounds a lot like that. They think that God's voice is full of condemnation, criticism, and and they think, why would I want to follow a God like that? I mean, I have enough of those voices in my own head. I don't need to add him on top of of that. Maybe some of you are here this morning. Maybe you're, you're thinking that. Maybe you're thinking some of those condemning voices in your mind are really God speaking to you. But what, what if that's all wrong? What if we are projecting someone else's voice onto God, thinking that that's what he is like. And in fact, God's voice is much kinder and gentler than that. And in fact, what if God is actually someone we would want to know? Let's explore that this morning if you turn with me to Romans chapter eight. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one there from the seat close to you. Romans 8 is on page 1045. If you're watching with us at home, I would love for you to turn there as well so you can just follow along and see where I'm getting these things, these amazing things that we're gonna be talking about here this morning. If you're new with us, whether online or here in the room, especially if you came to Family Fun Fest, maybe you came for the first time Friday night, you're coming back, then a very special welcome for you. And and if you're new, then you picked a great Sunday to be here because we are kind of hitting the high point now of our study in Romans, which we began back in January. I've heard someone compare the book of Romans to the Himalayas of the Bible, so it contains many of the high points, and that Romans 8 is like the Mount Everest 
of the Bible. So that's where we are uh, for the next, for, for this whole month. And we're gonna start into that this morning, starting with Romans 8, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we'll pause there before we go on. For everyone who feels condemned or has ever felt condemned, this verse is a beautiful summary of everything we've seen in Romans so far. So we, we know that Romans begins with the bad news that everyone is under condemnation. So no one is exempt. There is no privileged group of people that somehow escape God's condemnation. Every single person falls short of God's perfect standard. The good news then, as we move forward in Romans, is that the, the great condemnation of Romans chapters one through three has been overcome. We see that in Romans five, verse 16. We'll put this up on the screen. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, speaking of Adam. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So there was condemnation. And then God poured out his wrath against sin. God hates sin. God does not hate you, but he hates sin and he hates your sin. He hates the sin of other people that causes damage to you. So he poured out all of his wrath against sin onto Jesus Christ on the cross. If you wonder why, why did Jesus have to die? Why did this innocent person have to die? It's because God poured out all of his anger and his wrath against sin on Jesus so that Jesus being perfect, taking God's wrath, could then offer us his perfect record and offer us justification. So Romans moves from condemnation to justification, being right before God. That's what the word justification means, to be in right standing, to be in right relationship with God. And what Romans 8.1 tells us is that there is no condemnation for those who, who, what? For, for who? I should say it that way. There's no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, Romans 6, 3, and 4 explains that. We'll put that up on the screen. Romans 6, 3, and 4 tells us, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Being in Christ Jesus means that we have been baptized into him. We saw baptisms here last Sunday. And, and the act of the water baptism. What, what Romans 6 is talking about is not less than water baptism, but it's more than water baptism. Water baptism is a picture of what Jesus is doing, what God is doing spiritually to bring us into Christ. So baptism is, is just this brilliant picture because it, it looks like cleansing. We, we cleanse ourselves with water. 
Um, it looks like dying to an old self and rising to a new life. But beyond that, it looks like being taken into water as we are taken into Christ. And there's this sense in which we are absorbed now into the life of Christ, and then he lives his life through us. That's a snapshot of what it looks like to be in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. Paul frequently says that we are made right with God through Christ. And in Romans 8, 1, he says, he flips that around and says the same thing in the inverted form. He says, not that we are right with God, but now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the Greek word for condemnation carries the idea of a verdict. When we are in Christ Jesus, we have been declared not guilty. And so that's, that's a truth, that is a reality that some of us need to internalize. So when those voices are playing in our head, those voices of condemnation, of dragging us down, we, we need to come back to this truth that says, no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we internalize that? Well, we're gonna keep reading and find out more. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, there it is again, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life. This is the third mention of the spirit in the book of Romans. The first two were pretty brief, kind of kept moving on. Now the spirit becomes the focal point of this chapter. So we're gonna see the spirit mentioned 19 times in chapter eight. We're gonna see the spirit mentioned 10 times just in the 11 verses that we are looking at here today. And so what's happening is Paul is transitioning us from thinking about the law as a way of life. And last week, if you were here with us, or over the last several weeks as we were looking at Romans chapter seven, he says the law, obeying the law, obeying God's commands is not the path to life. Now we get to chapter eight where it says, it's gonna tell us that life by the spirit is, is the path to life and to freedom. Which oh, this concept is captured really well, this transition from law to, to the spirit is captured really well in a little poem that I heard many years ago and it stuck with me, put this on the screen. To run and work the law commands yet gives me neither feet nor hands, but better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. The law, when we try to live by the law and obey the law, we're gonna be frustrated, discouraged, because we can't live up to it. But the gospel comes along and says fly and gives us wings. All right, let's, let's read on in Romans Eight, verse two again, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. All right, there, there is so much to say about every single one of these verses. I am having to, to restrain myself. Uh, I'm gonna note two highlights, all right, from these verses, because we still got more verses to cover here. Verse three, note, note this. By, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. God condemned sin instead of you. Right, verse one tells us we are not under condemnation. God condemned sin instead through Jesus. And the second thing we highlight in verse four is this idea of walking. He says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul, one of Paul's favorite metaphors for life is walking. In fact, if you're reading an NIV translation, it just translates it as live, those who live, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Walking is a great metaphor for life because most of us walk all day long, many places that we go. And, and what, what Paul is saying is, as you walk to the coffee shop, as you walk to the bus stop, as you walk around in your kitchen, as you walk around at work, carrying out your, your duties, as, as you walk, he says, walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul's gonna unpack that in just a moment, but right now the point is, trade condemnation for cooperation. Okay, that's, that's what I hope you'll walk away with today. Trade condemnation. When those voices of condemnation come to you, you can set those aside because God's taken care of that. And now in, that's in the place of that, he said, now you can pursue cooperation with the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So he wants to cooperate with you in walking through your life. This is... What, what Paul is describing here is a whole new way to live. This is, a, this is a whole new way to live which gives hope to people who have given up that they could ever change. If you have given up on some area of your life and you've said, I, I guess this is never gonna change. I've tried to change this for years and years, for, for decades, and it just, it, nothing, nothing is any different than it used to be, and you've kind of just given up, this is just the way I am. What, what Paul is, is telling us here is that you are no longer limited to your willpower. You, you no longer have to be frustrated with your attempts to obey the law, which are always going to fail because we're too weak to, to do that on our own. We're not on our own anymore. There's a new character introduced into your story and he invites us to cooperate with the Spirit who is living in you. Well, how do we cooperate? Let's read on. Verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life 
and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. All right, we'll pause there. Okay, Paul loves to present contrasts, okay? And here he is pitting living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. Okay, this kind of brings us back to what we were talking about if you were here last week. We were talking about last week an internal battle that goes on for us between our old self and our new self. You and I are born into an old self, an old self which is predisposed, and actually it's predisposed to rebel against God, to not be able to obey. We are incapable of obeying God perfectly by inheritance from our ancestor Adam, and then by our own choice. We follow through on that, and so we sin. We have an old self that is opposed to what God wants for us. Right alongside of that old self, we have sin that is enticing us, and and Paul personalizes as a force that is dragging us away from what God wants us to do. When we come to trust Christ, when we recognize that the wrath of God was poured out on Christ, and he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice, and we put our trust in Jesus plus nothing to say, if it, for me to be right with God, I am my, all my trust is in Christ. Then we are given a new self. And at that point, we, we have a desire to do what God wants us to do for the first time. We want to do it, but God doesn't take away the old self. We wish he would. That's not his plan. That's not his design. So the old self is still there. There's this battle going on internally. And so now Paul describes this as the flesh warring against the spirit. We can set our minds on the flesh or the old self, or we can set our minds now on the spirit. And so this new character is introduced we now have the spirit living inside of us. And that's not to scale. I couldn't find a piece of paper big enough to capture God himself living in, inside of us. The, the, the good news about this, and, and we said this last week, we, we're not even picturing on here the, the powers of Satan himself tempting us or the world uh, the, the force of the world that's dragging us into sin. We're not even picturing those because those aren't in the passage that we're talking about. But if we had those on here visibly, still the Holy Spirit outclasses all of these powers because it is the power of God himself. And Paul says, he makes very clear in verse nine that if we are in Christ, then we have the Holy Spirit in us. In verse nine, he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And then read on, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of, of righteousness. 
When you and I place our faith in Christ to, to wash us from our sin, something spiritually radical happens. God himself in the spirit comes to live inside of you. He takes up residence in, in your life. See, some of you have the Holy Spirit living in you, but you don't know him very well and you don't know how he operates very well. That doesn't diminish the fact that he is in you because we, we don't have to believe in God for him to exist, okay? But for him to be in you, there's this power available that we need to learn how to cooperate with. So he's not interested in coming in and dominating and taking over your life like sin is. Sin will take control. The Holy Spirit is much gentler and kinder than that. He wants us to submit to him. He wants us to yield ourselves to him. And so if we don't understand how he operates, then we're not gonna fully benefit from the power that he makes available to us. And so Romans 8 is gonna lay out for us how, what does it look like? to walk in the Spirit, to live with the Spirit, and to cooperate with the Spirit. Let me, before we go on, I wanna just share a few foundational truths about the Spirit, especially for those who may not understand the Spirit real well. The Spirit is actually God himself living inside of you. So it's not just a force, it's not a ghost, so some of the older translations identify as the Holy Ghost, that sounds kind of spooky, mysterious, whatever. This is a spirit, this is the spirit of God coming to live in us. There's a scene in the book of Acts in the, in the early church where uh, a man and his wife bring an offering to the church. Uh, they, they sell some land, bring an offering, and they portray it as though they are bringing like all that they got from the sale of the land but in fact, they're holding back part of it. And so there's an interesting scene where Peter confronts them and he says to them, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And he goes on to say, you, you can do whatever you want. We can put this up on the screen. You, you can do, do whatever you want with that money but you, you, you're just lying by saying you brought all of it. You, it was fine for you to keep part of it back, but you're lying by saying you brought it all. So he said, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but to God. There's an equating here of the Holy Spirit and of God. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He has the characteristics of a person. Let me give you just a few examples. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says that all, all these gifts are empowered. It talks about the gifts of the Spirit. They're all empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Spirit has a will. John 16, 13, Jesus is talking about the Spirit. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Spirit is personal, the Spirit is God, and Paul says in Romans 8, you and I can choose to set our minds on the Spirit or on the flesh. Verse six, 
says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. To set our minds is, is, is what is our outlook in life? What, what, what voices are you listening to? What voices are you giving mental real estate to? Because we have the choice, instead of to listen to the, the condemning voices, to listen to the Spirit. I was driving by a church down in Fairless Hills and they have this sign out front. It says, don't believe everything you think. I thought, that's good, that's good. Let me give you a prime example of a mind set on the flesh. It's a mind that does a lot of self-condemnation. So if you spend a lot of time beating yourself up, if you, you know, let's, let's just say you make a mistake at work and maybe it's not a sin, but you're just like, oh, I should have known better than that and I've done that before and here it is again. Or maybe it is a sin and, and you, you just kind of, you know, you're tired and you lose it with a family member and you just kind of spew all over them and, and the next day you're just like, man, that was awful. And then you, you just beat yourself up See, beating yourself up is really different from conviction of the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is completely different from conviction. Okay, conviction is when the Holy Spirit reminds you gently that something that you did was not in line with what God's will is for you. And it's appropriate then to confess that. Conviction should lead us to confession. Condemnation just leads us down it just leads us down a path that is completely unproductive and it takes us away from God. In 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we fall and when we fail and we will, then we confess that, we embrace the forgiveness that Jesus has made available to us, and then move on. Don't, don't sit in that cesspool. I mean, that just drags you into more sin. And why would you do that? Because we started today with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So honestly, you got no business condemning yourself. If God does not condemn you, then, I mean, who do you think you are? to like counter his voice. I don't know, just something for you to think about. Trade condemnation for cooperation. So when that conviction comes, okay, Holy Spirit, I will, I will cooperate with your work in me. I want to be different. I thank you for your forgiveness. Because setting our mind and our outlook on the Spirit, verse six tells us, leads to life and peace. Peace, uh, no doubt Paul had in mind the Hebrew word of peace, the Hebrew meaning of peace, shalom, which is not just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of wholeness and health and life. That's what the Spirit is about bringing to us. All right, I don't have much time here because I wanna bring up Pastor Joseph and, and Rhoda, but I wanna touch on the last verse in our text here this morning, verse 11. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let me point out something that may not be evident to you the the first time you kind of read through this quickly. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is mentioned in this verse not once, but twice, okay? If the spirit of him, him, that's God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, okay, so there they all are in that first phrase, then he, God the Father, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This verse tells us how committed God is to reconcile you in all of your fallenness, in all of our condemnation, which is rightfully deserved. This is how committed God is to doing what we could never do so that we can be reconciled to him. I know there's, there's probably some people here this morning uh, and maybe listening online, that struggle with the, the Trinity idea. There's certainly other religions that struggle with the Trinity idea. How can it be one God and three different persons? Let me just say this about the Trinity. The Bible really doesn't even attempt to fully explain the Trinity to us. It just presents it to us. It says, this is who God is. God says, this is who I am. You can take it or leave it. But let me just say this to you. If you struggle to wrap your head around it, you're like, that couldn't possibly be real. Do you really think that the God who spoke all that we see into existence, do you really think you're gonna be able to totally wrap your head around that? Nah, why don't you just accept some things by faith? We'll, We'll adopt what Augustine said, which is faith seeking understanding. So we start with faith, and we seek to understand more, but don't expect to ever fully wrap your head around. Just accept it. So how do we we land the plane here? Now you, my, my friend that I talked about back at the beginning who still hears those voices from his drunken father's rants, he and you, can come to a Trinitarian God when those voices start. We can come to God the Father who accepts us fully because Christ has made, Christ the Son has made a sacrifice on our behalf and then we learn to walk in the Spirit. We will talk more about what walking in the spirit looks like next week and in the weeks to come. But it starts with no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So my question for you as we end this morning is where are you in relation to Christ Jesus? Are you on the outside looking in, wondering about him, not quite sure you buy into all of it? Or are you in Christ Jesus? Have you come to him, perhaps, hopefully, in the waters of baptism, symbolizing that you've you've immersed yourself in him? Or at least if you haven't done it in the waters of baptism, that you've come to him by faith to say, Jesus, I, I wanna be 
I, I want my life, my, my messed up, condemnation-ridden life to be absorbed into yours so it can be made new. When those of us who are in Christ walk in the Spirit, then we will experience, Paul says, life and peace. That's how you'll know you're doing it right. That's how you'll know you're walking in the Spirit is if you're experiencing life and peace. We will talk much more about that in the next few weeks, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you, Trinitarian God, who we pray to, that each one of you played, played and plays a role in reconciling us to you, even though we were undeserving, even though we were rightfully under condemnation. You bought justification for us, and then you are now working sanctification in us Looking forward to a day when you will complete glorification and we will be like you as you intended from the beginning. Lord, all of that is a gift of grace. Lord, I pray for the person here this morning or listening online who is not yet in Christ, that you would do that work in their heart that only you can do to convince them of their need for you. And for for those of us who have been walking with you, teach us more and more how to walk in your spirit so that we can experience life and peace and be a witness for you to a world that desperately needs it. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.